welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Today is a day, no doubt, in which we extol the highest virtues, although I would think sometimes they're somewhat idealistic in one regard, but yet, nonetheless, the highest virtues. Our message today is far broader than the simple topic or the singular topic of motherhood. We must be reminded that motherhood alone is not just a virtue, or I should say is not a virtue only. For there have been many godless mothers that have existed. And think of the scriptures of some of the famous worst moms in the world. Uh, I don't know if this is the order that you might would format them in, but I think of Herodias. Herodias. She was Philip Agrippa's. Herod Agrippa uh, was his wife. She divorced him and married his brother, Antipas. And uh, Herodias and uh, Antipas were challenged on the veracity of their marriage by John the Baptist. They had him imprisoned. Then Herodias uh, allowed or commissioned her daughter to dance in such a way that at the conclusion therewith, Antipas, her uncle and stepfather, you do the math, uh, promised to give him up to half of his kingdom. Yet she chose John the Baptist's head on a charger. If there is only virtue in motherhood, then I would say that Herodias did great shame to it. In fact, as you look at Herodias' life, I think you see her there as a great instructor on vengeance. Vengeance was hers, and she did repay. But she's not by herself. I think about Jezebel. Jezebel in the Old Testament was a mother. Jezebel was a daughter. Jezebel was a wife. She was the queen to Ahab. And at various courses throughout his kingdom, you'd find there Jezebel always with sleight of hand, cunning and trickery, seeking to advance there and often her causes at whatever the cost may be. I think of Naboth's vineyard. It was Jezebel that concocted the plan that would conclude with Naboth being killed so that her husband could have that which he had no right to have. You look at Jezebel's life. If Herodias taught the virtue of vengeance, then no doubt Jezebel teaches much on manipulation of people. And of course, I mentioned Jezebel had a daughter. And her daughter's name was Athaliah. Now she was a sweet charmer. Athaliah son had risen to the ranks of becoming king, and he died. As a result of his death, she declared a level of vengeance upon all that stood in her way. Ultimately, it concluded when she had executed all of her royal heirs. And let me be quick to point out that means any and all of her other children, her grandchildren, nieces, nephews, if her boy wasn't going to be king, won't nobody going to be king. And she would rule and reign, but through the course of her hatred and ambition, you might would say, she missed a grandson. His name was Joash. Well, it seemed that he was absconded with and hidden. And when he was just old enough, she, Athaliah, was removed from office. A proper and later virtuous man would rule in her stead. She has, if motherhood is always a virtue, she has the virtue of ambition. 
And of course, our list would not stop there, but it seems to me to be incomplete if we did not consider many others. But for time's sake, I'll just give you one. I think of Lot's wife. We're told in the gospel account to remember Lot's wife. And there are eschatological reasons by which one should remember her, but there are very practical reasons as well. For in at its base, you find a woman who left a legacy of rebellion. She never could really obey God. You know, it's not motherhood that we worship. It's God. And God has ordained it, and God has said of it, it is a good thing. But motherhood alone is not the greatest virtue of life. When you look to the Scriptures, a life of godliness for anyone, male or female, but in application as we consider this morning, is that which is blessed. It reminds you of Proverbs 31. Note here, let's turn there for a moment. Just hold your place here in the 14th chapter and flip over to Proverbs 31. Look at verse 30. Favor, chapter 31, verse 30. Favor is what? Deceitful. Why? It'll change on you. It'll pass. What's in favor today will fall out of favor tomorrow. What is esteemed by many today will be unesteemed tomorrow, such is the whimsical nature of humanity. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Billions and billions of dollars that people invest in cosmetics and injections so that they might have and feel in a youthful fashion said it's vain. But a woman that does what? I find that to be God's estimation on the thing. Motherhood is not the end in all things, but the fear of God is. Sometimes we have the idea that we have attained if we have just become mothers or that that is some level of greatness and truly it is a remarkable thing. But in my mind at least, and I know the minds uh, of others would, would agree with this, when I look back, the thing that I am most grateful for about a godly mother is not the simple fact that I'm here. But it's the fact of the grand influences that her godly virtues has had upon me. The list of Virtuous mothers could go on. Motherhood does not make one a saint. In fact, motherhood does not make one virtuous. The only way one will have virtue is by the work of grace in the heart of an individual. A sinful woman may one day become a sinful mother, but a woman that fears God will go on to become, if God permit, a mother that fears God and be one that buildeth a house. As we reflect today, I want to speak a little bit about some of these virtues. There is that mother that brought you into this world, but that's a very small part of what we truly reflect on. We reflect, as I said a moment ago, on the most appreciative, uh, we reflect on and are most appreciative for the virtues of sacrifice, the virtues of the lessons, the virtues of compassion and care that has shown to us. You're here in chapter 14 and verse 1. And there's a contrast of two women that are pictured. The scripture does not call this woman a mother. It simply articulates that there are two types of individuals. In response of these two types, there are two actions that they do. 
and two results of said action. Notice, if you will, a few things about this before we get to our point. I want you to take for a moment to notice their actions. One is building, and one is plucking it down. If you write in your Bible, you take out your pen and you circle that word, buildeth, buildeth. And then you come down to the last half of that verse, and you circle the word, plucketh. Now, they both end in that E-T-H. What does that indicate to us? It is a continual action. I would note this, the building of a virtuous life is a continuous action. I think of the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. I believe it's the seventh chapter and maybe the first verse. As fly, as a fly is in the ointment of the apothecary, so is foolishness in the heart or life of one that is esteemed for wisdom. It's true, isn't it? We can be about the building of our life in so many ways, or the building of our homes, or the building of our children, or the building of individuals and investing our lives in a virtuous manner. But it's a consistent need. It's a consistent requirement. And then allow some foolishness to get sodded in there and undo what could have been. Building is continual. But I will also note that second word that's continual is plucketh. It is the precipitous, continual decline or destruction of some matter. You would think me a silly person if I was not involved in some remodeling of my house. If you came over to my house and I was intentionally just taking cabinet doors off or just intentionally uh, tearing this apart and tearing that apart, you would eventually look at me and say, are you remodeling things? No, I'm not remodeling things. I just ripped it off the hinges. Well, what's going to cover your china? What's going to cover your paper plates? That's what you'd really say to me. What's going to cover them? I don't know. I'm just tearing everything up because that's the way I like things. You would know of me that I was a foolish individual. And that's the idea of plucking it down. It's a systematic, continual, destructive ambition. The second thing I want you to look at is this word house. Every woman buildeth her house. Every wise woman, I should say, buildeth her house. And by context, the foolish pluck it down with her hands. There's a house involved here. Now, if you're reading through the book of Proverbs alone, or really even the greater scope of Scripture, you'll find that this idea of a house, it doesn't always mean a home. In fact, just gazing at the book of Proverbs, sometimes a house literally means a dwelling place. And for instance, in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, Solomon is warning his sons 14 times the first seven chapters, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. And he's warning him in chapter 5 about removing thy way far from this unvirtuous, godless woman. He said, come not nigh the door of her house. In fact, I believe it's in chapter 7. Solomon says, I looked out the casement of the window of my house. And I beheld among the simple ones a young man, void of understanding, who passing by her way, house. He's not talking about his home. He's talking about a physical structure. Uh, we'd look at it around uh, where we're meeting this morning. There are houses. Sometimes the idea of building a house is simply a dwelling place. Other times when you look at the idea of a house, sometimes it is a reference to descendants. 
For instance, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29, he talks about he that troubleth his own house. Now, he's not talking about speaking naively or nastily to your structure of residence. He's not talking about troubling your house because you painted it and it didn't want to be painted. He's not personifying a house. He's talking about your descendants. For instance, the Old Testament, in keeping with the idea of descendants, you can move to a third point. Sometimes, in reference to a house, it's a reference not just to immediate descendants, but the legacy of descendants. In a result, the estimation of your life. Proverbs talks about the house of the proud and the house of the wicked and the house of the righteous in Proverbs chapter 12 and 14. In the Old Testament, you'll find about the house of Esau. You'll find about the house of David. David, when he becomes king, says, Is there any left of the house of Saul that I might show kindness to? So sometimes in reference to a house, it can be the descendants or by a greater virtue, the legacy that is given. But sometimes in reference to house, it's referencing the descriptive actions of life. For instance, over in chapter 9, verse 1, Wisdom hath builded her house. Well, wisdom is not a tangible thing. You can't touch wisdom. You can't see wisdom. You can't smell wisdom. You can't hear wisdom. He's personifying an action that is made. Someone that has had uh, knowledge and now has brought about understanding discernment and now wisdom's acting upon that. And he said, wisdom has builded her house. By essence, he's not talking about a aluminum clad building. He's not talking about a fabric clad building. He's not talking about a brick clad. He's not talking about a residence at all. He's talking about the actions of life. In one sense, you can make this applicable individually at its level. The wise woman hath built her house. Not an extension of a home, but rather the extension of her very life. I remind you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the very example that the Apostle Paul uses about the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. He says in verse 14, in verse 14, no foundation can any man have than that which is laying, which is Christ Jesus. Now, let every man take heed how he, what's he building? And the essence as I have given is that you have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of truth. There's no greater foundation of truth. There's only various divergent, deceptive copies of the one true God. And all of them are inferior. And Paul says, take heed how you build thereupon. What are you building? You're building your life. In one sense, I would have you consider this morning that this house is more than just the personification of her home. It's more than just the structure by which she resides. It's more than just the legacy she lives. It is her very life, and it's applicable to every individual that lives. For there are only two classes of individuals, the wise and the foolish. The wise, and I might even say regarding the foolish, that there are different descriptions of foolish people through the scriptures. You got your pen in hand. Look, if you will, in verse number six. Verse one and two, or rather one and three, were introduced to the foolish. The foolish plucketh it down, and the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. The foolish. 
You move to verse number six, you're introduced to an extreme foolish individual. Verse number six, the scorner, you can circle that if you want, seeketh wisdom and what? Now let me ask you a question. Just think for a moment with me. The scorner sought for something and couldn't find it. Yet in chapter 14 and verse 1, here's a woman that found it and used it. Chapter 9 and verse 1, I love Proverbs chapter 9. It talks about wisdom. She crieth aloud in the street. I was with him in the beginning. How could someone say they couldn't find wisdom? Don't have wisdom, that's different. This corner is a different level of the foolish. Then you come down and look at verse 15. Here's a third element of the foolish. You got the foolish, the scorner, and here's a third one. Verse 15, the simple believe every word. The simple believe every word. You've got the simple. We'll revisit our wise woman for a moment, but let's speak just for a moment of this foolish individual, this foolish woman that plucketh down her very life, her existence, anything she's really around with her very hands. It's a persistent action. Let's speak for a moment of the simple. The simple, really, we could refer to him as this, the budding fool. In fact, don't be too hard on the simple. One fact, because it is the beginning of all men. You remember Proverbs chapter 22? Foolishness is what? Bound in the heart of a child. Well, what's that mean? I don't mind, no matter how cute or cuddly the little child is, that child has to be reared with knowledge so that it can gain understanding, so that it can have wisdom. A child, the scriptures so say, left to itself causes its father and mother shame. You know what you were born? I know that this does not flaunt our egos. You were born a simpleton. And it is true in verse number 15. You take that little simpleton child, they believe every word. Now, it's probably ill-advised, and certainly I would not recommend it, but if you had a chance, an innocent moment passed, you go find that dear little child, your child or your grandchild. I don't think other people would care about you doing this to their child, but you could tease them. I remember one day I was riding down the road, and I told my children, I said, uh, what would you do if I pulled over and I just let you get out right home? Could you make it home? No. That's why I'm, I'm not going to leave you, but you couldn't make it home? No. Go down the road a little bit. Dad, are you really going to make me get out? <laughs> no, of course not. What if I'd have said yes? I would want to create that kind of fear in their heart and life. But for a moment in their mind, they believed anything. And that can go on in so many different ways in, in life. You and I are born simpletons. Why? Our knowledge is limited. Our understanding is small. Ergo, our wisdom is extremely small. And so the scripture articulates one of the great responsibility parents of bringing them up, who? Children, in the what? Nurture and admonition of Jesus Christ. To be a simple one, this budding fool, if you will, is to be seducible. It is to be unguarded. It is to be impressionable. In one sense, it is to be defenseless in life. If a simpleton fails to learn wisdom in this life, he will graduate 
into becoming a fool. For the simpleton, the budding fool, it's important the scriptures in Proverbs 8 talks about appealing to him. In fact, over in Proverbs chapter 19 and Proverbs 21, it said, strike the scorner and the simple will be warned. I always found that to be interesting. The simpleton, wanting wisdom, one of the keen ways to gain wisdom is to watch the actions of other individuals. You know, I am one of the older children in my family. And uh, I'm the older boy, one of the older children in my family. And uh, I would hear some of my younger siblings say, we learned how not to do things from you. Well, they were wise. They were wise. It's one of the ways we gain wisdom. The simpleton is undiscerning. He can very easily drift off into moral corruption. I think of Proverbs chapter 1. He talks about this. He said, my son. He talks about these friends that are enticing him and they say, come, throw your lot in together with us. He said, son, don't be deceived. Don't go that direction. Don't do that. He gives the warning of what will happen to their end. He said, I don't want this to be for you, son. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. He's a simpleton. And if he refuses to learn, he'll graduate to be a fool. The second individual we have here, we've introduced him in verse 1 and verse number 3, the foolish. The foolish, the common fool, he's unrestrained. He's stubborn. He's involved in evil. He's disobedient. In Proverbs chapter 10, in regard to the foolish, those, the wise in particular, are cautioned to avoid them. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. They're cautioned in chapter 26 to rebuke them, but also in the same chapter, don't argue with them. So the danger... It's a dullness. It is not rather a dullness of mental capacity, but it is really a dullness of mental reception, an unwillingness to obey, an indication to make wrong decisions. But the fool expresses himself in a completely different way than the simple. The simple is just undiscerning. It's not that they won't do right. They're just simple. They believe everything. The foolish individual, self-confident, Proverbs chapter 12 and Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 3. The foolish, the mouth of the foolish is what? Rod of pride. He'll strike at you just soon to look at you because after all, he knows better than you. In fact, he knows better than seven men that can render any wisdom whatsoever. I know better. That's the self-confidence of a fool. The fool's unreliable. It's like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. The fool is a grief unto his parents. Tears my heart to think about the scriptures talking about the aged mother and her broken heart because she had given birth to a fool. The fool is restless. The fool will not prepare his heart for wisdom, we find in the 17th chapter. The fool has an uncontrollable tongue. The fool is deceptive. The fool is, uh, uh, resists and, and uh, uh, refuses all types of correction. The fool is unteachable. He delights to speak evil. So, how you deal with a fool is important. A fool, because he's so self-centered, has to be restrained. He's going to be stubborn. 
You're not to honor him. You're to rebuke him. Ultimately, if the fool's young and up, he's to be punished. If not, society will have that job. It's a terrible place that we live in life now where we have a bunch of simpletons. In society, we were all there, but many of them were educated and trained by scorners. And we now have a generation of fools in every area of life today. You can't argue with them. They know everything. They won't listen to anybody. I listened to a sheriff once talk about this. There was a shooting in an adjacent jurisdiction of his. And he was uninvited. He was a county sheriff, and the city people were taking care of it. And he said, the problem really is this child never listened to anybody. And mom and dad never corrected him. So he developed to the point in life where we got to take care of him. And he said, a lot of these police shootings, I'm quoting the sheriff now. He said, a lot of these police shootings happen to do with children that were never taught to obey their parents. And so when they're given lawful commands, they refuse to obey. At the end of the day, something unintentional occurred and judgment reigned. It's the mark of a fool. I'd say that sheriff had a little bit of truth in his statement. But here in verse number 6, he mentions the scorner. This is a full-blown fool. He's uncontrollable, devilishly mean, and incorrigible. A scorner is known by his mocking. He's mean-spirited. He's a troublemaker. He's not simply content to be evil himself, but he's been on corrupting others and rejecting any authority but his in life. He rejects rebuke. He hates those that correct him. He's arrogantly angry. He mocks justice. And he enjoys despising all that is good. Strong judgment will be his future. And one day, Proverbs chapter 3, the scorners should expect God to scorn him. These are three extreme differences of one that would be classified as a foolish person. To the regard of the scorners, I'm reminded what John Butler, the, com uh, the commentarian, said. Scorners do not need facts to scorn. They only need an audience. A powerful sentiment's being pl placed here. The foolish pluck it down with their hands. The wise woman buildeth her house. Ultimately, the foolish individual and the wise individual have common habits of life. Time will not permit us to go through here, but when you think of the foolish, the heart of the foolish from a simpleton down to a scorner direct in the same way. They're focused on the desires of life, what pleasures they can have, what possessions they can have, what prestige they might experience. They have many distractions, the new and the approved, the now and the immediate. They have no principles or plans. They're disobedient. They have problems with created order. What do you mean by that? The authority God has placed in society and within the home. And they have problems with commanded order. What do you mean by that? Where God said, thou shalt not lie. They have a problem with that statement. 
and ultimately the end of a fool because of the sowing of many years of habitual actions will bring about a destiny of a failed quality and a failed destiny of life. Of course, they're common habits of a wise individual. And I've already touched on those. Why have you read in Rome and James 1? There's two things that a wise individual really does. They hear and they do. Be not a hearer, but a... It's really that simple. See, the wise individual has reached a point in life where they recognize what they do not know. And therefore, when wisdom comes, they judge not the source primarily, but the content and the depth of the truth that comes. You know... Sometimes individuals get all upset somebody ever says something to them and they reject the truth because of the person that's speaking. Can I tell you something? That is an inordinately foolish way to live life. Truth is truth even if your enemy says it. David is leaving Jerusalem because of his son Absalom. His scorner son is what he was. He was a scorner. At the end of it, he died a scorner's death. And David's leaving. And Shimei, a descendant of Saul, is throwing rocks at David and swearing at him. One of David's mighty men comes and said, how about I go after I'll take care of Shimei for you. You know what David responded? Let him be. Pre-adventure God has sent him here. I find that remarkable. See, there were certain things Shimei was saying that were completely out of bounds. He had no business saying them. And by the way, because he said them, eventually they would cost him his life. But there were a couple things that he was dead on right. And David knew it. Sometimes if truth, be it from the word of God or be it from our parents or friends, if it's not just bundled up in a pretty cute way with a nice foil paper on it and a nice bow, then we throw it all out. Truth is truth. All truth belongs to God. And a wise person will attend. They'll meditate on the truth and they'll obey and they'll continue to obey in the actions of life. This is the contrast. There's a common action and an uncommon action for the wise and the foolish. One, because of their hearing and doing, is constantly building their house and the other one, because of their constant undoing, is pulling it and them and everybody around them to utter ruin. Despite the simple truth fact that their end will be destruction. So one has to ask ourselves this morning, how do I become the wise one instead of the foolish? I think there's a number of three things, number of things, I'm just going to give you three this morning. Maybe with a bonus one. I think some differences can be had is number one, the wise woman versus the foolish. The wise woman has a focus on obedience to truth, not the opinions of the day. You want to know something about the opinions of the day? Each day they change. The foolish individual, they started out a simpleton. And remember verse number 15 about the simpleton, what do they do? What's the scripture? 15. They believe every word. Boy, I laugh sometimes at the news media. 
One moment, the market's going up. Things are looking good, and now they're not. And one moment, everything's horrid. And the next moment, everything's good. Good night. You'll give yourself bipolar feelings on that. One day it's raining. The next day it's hot. One day everybody likes you. One day everybody hates you. What are you going to believe in life? The foolish person has an obedience to the truth. They're not distracted by all the new and fancitivities that come in in life. They're focused on the commands of the Word of God. The opinion of the day says, be you. Be the best you and love you. The truths of the Word of God starts with the fact of this. You are not so good. In fact, in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, in James chapter 4, you're to humble yourself. Why? Because God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The very next verse, submit yourself to God. The singular fact, you want to know a difference between the two, is their focus on obedience to the truth and their difference between the focus of the opinions of the day. The only truth that matters is God's truth, not the opinions of the day. You say, what's another difference? Another difference would be this. The wise woman here focuses on righteousness. The foolish woman has a tendency to focus on riches. I think there's a level of truth in this. Regarding riches, the Scriptures makes many profound statements. Chapter 23 of Proverbs, time will not allow us, but in verse 4 and 5 it talks about riches certainly do make for themselves wings and they fly away. Well, that's true. We live in a society that that really has become God of all. Get all you can get in this life. Have all that you can have. Enjoy every experience you can in life. I feel that they have failed to read the last or next to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. The preacher said, in chapter 2, I've tried all things. I got to myself men servants and women servants. I got to myself wives and concubines. I got to myself myrrh and I got to myself drink and I got to myself houses and I got to myself gold and I got to myself silver and I got to myself music and I got to myself everything I want and I found that the end thereof was vanity. So coming in in the closing chapters, his conclusion remains unmoved. All is vanity, he says. Go ahead. Enjoy your life. Live how you want to know and live however you want to go. But know this, that you will stand in judgment. The preacher came to the solemn conclusion. The closing verses of that great proverb, he says this. But it really comes down to walking humbly with the Almighty God. That is your chiefest aim. Riches make wings and fly away. Although while you have riches, you'll have many friends. Proverbs chapter 19. The abundance of riches always makes many sorrows. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The love of money is the root of all evil. And some, having pierced themselves through with what? Consider these words. The wise woman is focused rather on righteousness. Not singularly just the righteousness of God that brought about salvation but also the righteousness is in making right decisions in life. Hearkening back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
Godliness, he says, is profitable in all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It's amazing the divergent choice to be made. Some will choose in this life every experience that desire could ever be had. But the wise person is focused on what is right, not what is affordable, not what is desirous by society, what is pleasing in the eyes of God. There's a third choice that I would convey to you this morning. There's a focus on diligence. And here's our word that we've mentioned about three or four times, not desire. Diligence, not desire. 1 John chapter 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Isn't that amazing? You know what the world system has for you? Desires. That's really what it is. Another word you'll find throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, lust. That's what it is. Desires. You know, every great while I like looking at these old sales papers from years gone by. There's a little clip I saw some time ago. I don't know why somebody did this, but they took a video recording from Kmart in 1990. And they posted it. This is how it was in the old days. And I was a bit offended by that. And I remember as a kid going to the various, they're all out of business now. Um, some of you that were around in the good old days, <laughs> you remember even more they're out of business. I remember going to these stores as just had to have toys or had to have things. And you know, those things have passed away, but there's all manner of new things that now have taken their place. That's the way life is. That's where choices are. That's why sometimes marriages fall apart. People get focused in on various things and something comes across their way and they go that way. That's where a relationship with God is sometimes. There's always something that you wish you wanted more. That's your heart speaking. And only a fool will seek to discover their own heart. Jeremiah warns of our heart that it is deceitful, wicked above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Desire. What do you want? Society tells us you deserve everything. After all, you're you, and you deserve everything you can get. Wise woman here, she's focused on her diligence to truth. I have another word here. Duty, D-U-T-Y, duty. Such a noble word. You don't hear much about that today. A longer word for duty would be your responsibility. Your responsibility. Do you realize you and I have a responsibility to God? And what makes it yours is nobody else can do it for you. I have a responsibility to walk with God. My children cannot fulfill that obligation, that responsibility in my life. They cannot do it. They can pray. They can encourage, but they cannot walk with God for me. My children have a responsibility to walk with God. And I can plead with them, and I can beg them, and I can love them, and I can encourage them, and I can even attempt to get them tools so that they'll be able to do, but at the end of the day, 
It's their responsibility. A wife, mom has a responsibility to walk with God. Honey can't do it for. Darling children can't do it. The preacher can't do it. She's got to have diligence to do so. Really, the distinction between wise and foolish comes down to diligence. The wise woman desiring to see her house build it up, be that her home or be that her place of abode or be that her own personal individual essence has to consider what God wants in her life. Ephesians chapter 4, understanding what the will of the Lord is. The question is, the wise individual, the will, of the, go- or the will of the Lord is made plain. It's present. The question for them in their own heart is this, why am I not doing what God wants me to do? James 4, 17, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth to not, to him it is. That's the way a wise person looks at it. Well, why do you fashion your life like this, dear mother? Why do you fashion your life like this, dear sister? Why do you fashion your life? Why are you tempted? Because I'm being obedient to God. And I'm going to be diligent about my obedience. Yes, they'll always be the scoffers. And they'll always be the scorners. And they always have the same message. Ah, you're going to regret that one day. You're missing out on something, they may say. But I promise you in the day, that last day of your life, the wise person is never afraid to meet the God of heaven. But the foolish man is awaiting his coming judgment. If I was going to give you a fourth one, it would be this. The wise woman that's buildeth her house focuses on the future, not just the present. It's a tough time sometimes. We get occupied in the here and now. We get our little to-do list and bucket list and we can get focused on what's right now. But you know something? The future lies ahead as well. And with all my getting in this life, If I have failed to invest in getting wisdom, how shall I know how I ought to behave myself towards the things of God? A wise woman's concerned about the future and the present, not just the present. So how is our house? We all start at the same place. We all start with a life and a heart and a mind that needs to be assembled. Yet as we progress through the truths of the Scriptures, we make choices to obey and thereby build the house, or we make choices to disobey and thereby pluck it down with our own hands. The individual that rejects God's truth is never able to assemble anything of true value. They singularly just define and redefine what really building a house is. That's really all a fool's got is arguments. He has no fruit. He has torn it all down. The wise person need not argue because they have taken the highway of the wise and they have arrived at the destination 
And anybody with passing glance can see the fruit of their labors. But the foolish is not so. Be ye hear of the word, not a doer only. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Let us this morning look into the perfect mirror of God's word and be changed. That our house may be changed. That our influences might be changed. And thank God that he might be glorified in us. Every wise woman buildeth her house. But the foolish plucketh it down with her hand. Let's stand here. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time, 